streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food, day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of, the, of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. In chapter 43, Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Lead them, let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why does wife so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, and I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Just to set the context a little bit, we've been working through, or we have uh, worked through the book of Acts from the beginning of January right through to the beginning of the summer, actually. We took six months in the book of Acts, the early church, right? And we're, we're getting excited and encouraged about what God could do and what he did back in the day. And that was awesome. We're stirring ourselves. God's word, and then we, we finished that, and we came to a series on prayer, and we were just wanting to connect the dots and, 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 and ask God, you know, you've done this amazing, wonderful work in the, in the early days of the early church. Now come, Lord, and do it again. Do it in our day. And so we're praying, and we're thinking about prayer. So today, though, we've finished prayer. We've finished Acts. We're going to look at uh, a question, or rather a, um, a thought you might have in your, in your mind and heart um, when we're thinking about acts and vision and, and all that stuff, you might be thinking to yourself, that's very well for other people. But that's just not where I'm at. That's not how I feel. I, I, I hear the words excitement, vision, passion, energy. And yet that's just not how I feel. I'm not just there with God. And so we're going to take a few moments to look at these two psalms. Originally they were one psalm and they've sort of over time been split apart. But they're, they're one big psalm. And they address this issue that at least one person, very famous preacher from last century, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the doctor, he, he, he addresses, the psalmist addresses this condition that we're going to look at called spiritual depression. That's the name that Lloyd-Jones gave it, spiritual depression. 
All right. And the reason why we're doing this just now is because we're trying to answer the question, what do I do when that stuff that we've been learning and all that exciting stuff that we've been trying to uh, get into as a church, what do I do when I just don't feel that? When that's not me. So we're going to look at this idea of spiritual depression, okay? And we're going to ask, first of all, what is it? Number two, why do we get it? Thirdly and finally, what do we do about it? What is it? Why do we get it? What do we do about it? Dead easy. Dead simple. First of all, what is it? Let's get a grip on what this condition is. And then we can work out whether it's something that has affected us at some point in our past or maybe just now. Let's land right in at verse 5 of, of Psalm 42. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? That describes this condition known as spiritual depression, right? The soul, you know, that your innermost sort of deepest level of your, your, your person is cast down, is low, you know, you're thrown down. We're singing here, you know, about being in the, in the deepest valley. That's, that's how your heart feels. That's what the psalmist is going through. A depression within your spirit. And he goes on to say, why are you so disturbed within me? That word disturbed refers to turmoil, unrest, you know. Why am I so unsettled? Why can't I just settle down and get into God and enjoy him? So right off the bat, what we're seeing here in, verse, uh, in Psalm 42 and 43 is this condition called spiritual depression. And, 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 and we, we get that because he repeats that same phrase. I don't know if you picked it up as we went through. He repeats that same phrase in verse 5, down in verse 11, and then in Psalm 50, uh, 43 in verse 5 again. Same again. Why are you so downcast, my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? This is a big deal for this guy. This is how he's feeling. Let's have some more details. Let's have some more details about spiritual depression. Verses 1 and 2, right at the top. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. That's what it feels like. We've got to think, well, why, why does he pick up on this idea of a deer, this picture of a deer? Why is a deer panting? Because let's face it, it's not normal for animals to be panting for water. It's not normal for us to be panting for water. It seems to be most likely that wherever he's, he's seen a deer, um, out in the wilderness, we'll come to that in a minute, why he's there, but out in the wilderness, he's seen a deer, and this deer is running around frantically, panicking, near to death, you know, near to expiring, it's got no energy left, darting around, trying to look in all the familiar places for water to quench its thirst, to bring itself back to life, and yet it is not finding that water where it should normally be. The water's dried up, or or maybe the deer is in a foreign territory and doesn't know where to find water. But either way, it is desperately darting around thinking, I've got to get this into me, otherwise I'm going to die. And I'm using what little energy I have to search for this most precious commodity, this water. And the psalmist picks up on this image and he says, as the deer is darting around looking desperately for water, so God, my soul is, is looking, is panting after you. I am thirsting. I need you, God, and yet your presence evades me somehow. You're not in the usual places that I go to to find you. You know, the practices that I do, the, the expectations that I have, they're just not clicking anymore. They're not working for me. I'm doing the same stuff, and yet I just can't feel you, God. 
To make matters worse, he, he says in verse 4, I remember how it used to be. You know, it's not always been like that. I remember when I was worshipping you with shouts of joy and praise and with the worshippers. That's how it used to be for me. And yet, it's not like that anymore. This depression of his soul, spiritual depression. God seems to be absent. He just can't feel God's presence. And he is desperate. He is running around. But see, there's, there's even more than that. There's more than that inner sense, that inner sense of God's absence. Verse 3 of chapter 42. My tears have been my food day and night. You know what that means? That means that the psalmist, having this spiritual depression, he is, he is weeping. He is weeping and weeping and weeping night and day, day and night. He cannot stop weeping. Sadness, this, this deep soul sadness that he cannot shift, it is continual. It is like he is mourning the death of somebody or something in verse 9. We can go even further and say he has lost his appetite because the only thing he's been eating have been his tears falling out of his eyes. He's gone off his food. That's always a very bad sign when someone comes in. I'm a doctor, by the way, so I can speak with some authority on this matter. But if someone comes in and they're, they're not eating, for whatever reason, whatever is going on, you know it's bad. Loss of appetite. Weeping. Tears are my food. Day and night. Look down at verse 10. It goes even worse. My bones suffer mortal agony. Oh my goodness. This man is full of pain. He is full of sorrow. He is weeping. Whether it's in the spiritual realm, in the physical realm of his body, or in, in the, the psychological realm of his mind, this, this guy is crushed. He is broken. He is Push down. Do you see all three of those realms are affected in his life? Spiritual, physical, and psychological. And we, we, we shouldn't be surprised at that, right? Because God created all three. He created human beings. And he created us to be balanced and unified and harmonious within ourselves. But we read in the Bible when humankind decided to go their own way rather than God's way, they rebelled against his loving leadership and that balance within each person was disrupted, right? So, so a spiritual problem, a spiritual dysfunction will have psychological and physical effects. It just will. Likewise, a physical problem will have spiritual and psychological effects. It just will. Let's think of it like this, right? Something dead easy, that dead common. We've all had, uh, maybe multiple times, uh, we've had the cold, right? We've had the common cold caused by a virus. And, uh, you know, just been exhausted, tired out, clapped out, got this cold, just feel rubbish. I'm just referring to my own experiences here. But when I have a cold, I feel awful and te terrible and low, low on energy. But my mood sort of goes down. I have no energy for, for, for normal stuff. I'm just not as joyful as normal. Even my relationship with God, you know, it just sounds stupid. But I, I just feel like there's, it's more labored than normal, you know? But then when the virus goes, and I've had a few early nights and, you know, a few lem sips, suddenly things perk up and there's more joy again and, 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 and things lighten up. Now, look, that's just an example. But it's an example to show, I hope, maybe you can understand, um, that if there's dysfunction in one area of your life, it will manifest itself, it will show itself in other areas as well. And that's what we see here in Psalm 42 and 43. You see, coming from a, a medical background, and maybe some of you 
have come from a medical background too, uh, I, I can say that modern medicine, modern doctors and all of our science and all that, we're, we're not well equipped to deal with this condition that we're seeing here. In fact, we're not well equipped to deal, I think, with people in general. And the reason we're not well equipped is because we have split the human being into component parts, right? And we're, we're very good at, as doctors at dealing with the physical bit. If you've got a physical problem, come to me or come to a GP like, like mine or some, somebody else, and, and they'll deal with your physical problem. They're very good. We're very good at that. Excellent. Excellent. Not too bad at dealing with the mental, with the psychological, getting a lot better. Hasn't been great in the past, but certainly getting a lot better at identifying and tackling and helping mental health. Doctors are getting better at that, for sure, the medical profession in general. But you see, when it comes to the spiritual, the spiritual component that everyone has, right? It's not like we're just making this up. Everyone has it, no matter what the religion is or what their the views are. Modern medicine just completely ignores the spiritual aspect. We, we don't address it. We think to ourselves, well, you know, that's your own personal belief, so that doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you've got a problem in your stomach or a problem in your head or whatever. But actually it does. It really does. Can you imagine the psalmist going to a modern-day GP and saying, Doctor, my tears have been my food day and night. Doctor, my, my bones have been suffering mortal agony. What can you do for me? What do you think the GP would say, you know, looking at the clock? Got 10 minutes here to deal with this. Most likely that, that psalmist would come out of the doctor's office in 10 or 15 minutes' time with a prescription for some painkillers for his bone pain and a prescription for antidepressants for his low mood. And that'll be it. If you're a very good GP, you may uh, refer on to other services and other specialties, but that's generally how we would do it, right? And even, even, even churches, it's just really sad, but even churches, often these days we will outsource any sort of mental problems to, to the professionals. Which, which I kind of understand, but at the same time, it is madness. Because as we're seeing here, and as the psalmist is showing us, the spiritual and the physical and the mental, the psychological, cannot be separated. Cannot be separated. The church, at the very least, must have an active role in helping and dialoguing with other professionals when it comes to caring for their people. Anyway, sorry. I'll get off my soapbox. But anyway, that, that's, that's the problem. And we've got to be aware of that as a church if we're going to care for each other well. So spiritual depression. Spiritual depression. Does it, does it ring any bells to you? I wonder if you relate to anything that the psalmist is, is, is saying just in these few verses. Maybe, maybe uh, you can look back to a past period in your life where you think, yeah, actually, I have had that. I have had that. Or maybe maybe explains where you are now, you know, if you're honest and you're coming to confession, you're, you're thinking, and you're like, God, I'm just not feeling you right now. I just can't feel your presence. The water's running dry. See, if you have spiritual depression, you think God has, has forgotten you. If you have spiritual depression, you think that he has rejected you, that your thirst is not being quenched. Maybe that describes you or sometime in the past. If not in the past or in the present, you will certainly go through such in some form in the future. And we don't just get that here in Psalm 42 and 43. There are multiple other Psalms, the book of Job, the book of Lamentations, all deal with this issue. God, you say you're this, but that's not how I feel. It's very common. So are you ready? Can you recognize what he's talking about? Because if you are ready and you recognize it, then you can do something about it when it comes to you.
So what is it? We've just seen that. Number two, why do I get it? From where does this spiritual depression come? Why does it happen to me? Why does it happen to someone I love? Why are they so low? You know, the go-to answer for that as Christians will often come and say, oh, friends, you're having spiritual depression. You must have sinned. There must be something wrong in your life that you have done, some fault of yours. And, and what you must do, my friends, is, is look deep within yourself, find that sin, root it out and confess it. That's often how we'll respond. Alternatively, another way we respond is, is by saying, brother, sister, you know, you're, you've got spiritual depression. Have you tried believing? Have you tried really taking the promises of God really to heart? You know, you've obviously got a weak faith. You just need to put more faith in Jesus. Come on, let go and let God. Just yield yourself. You're obviously holding back. Just yield yourself to God. That's what we'll say. But as we go through the Psalms here, there is no sense that the psalmist has done anything wrong. There's no sense of guilt or sin on his part. And there's no sense that there is a lack of faith either. In fact, it is shot through with faith. This is the words of someone earnestly struggling with God, but full of faith. He still believes God. He still knows God is out there somewhere. He calls him the living God. He calls him my God. He's speaking to God. He's pleading with him. He's expecting something from him. He calls God my joy and my delight in verse 4 of 43. He knows God is out there somewhere, and yet he just cannot feel him. He feels cut off. It's been said before by someone uh, much cleverer than me that the sense of God's absence is actually a sign of his presence. You understand that? The sense of God's absence is, is often a sign of his presence because if he was actually absent, if he was not actually there or didn't exist, then you wouldn't sense his absence. So going along to someone who's suffering from spiritual depression and say, just believe more or just confess your sins, all that does is add insult to injury. It just pushes someone who is already low, even lower. You know, the book of Job, Job's comforters, his friends, they got around him and they said all the wrong things time and again. Look for sin, come closer to God, yield to him. That's just pushed Job even further and further into the ground. So as a church, right, we've got to think carefully. We've got to think carefully. What are we dealing with here? And how do we actually get around people who have spiritual depression? So why do we get it? It doesn't tell us. There is nothing really in that psalm, or I put it to you, any psalm, that tells you exactly why, for certain periods in our lives, they may be days, weeks, or even years, why there is a sense that true, sincere, genuine believers in Jesus will feel cut off from God and depressed of soul. We don't ultimately know. But there are a few clues in here, a few factors from personal experience perhaps or from the scriptures that we can say might be one of the reasons or might be behind how we get there. Okay, so why do we get it? I think the first reason, this is probably speaking very personally here, um, some people are just susceptible. It just seems to be some people are susceptible. Perhaps they're slightly more introspective just by their character and their, their affect. Perhaps they're just almost a bit like me, sort of a glass is half empty kind of person. 
I'm not saying that you're born like that. Perhaps that's a learned behavior, but maybe just some people, you know, your past experiences, perhaps, your understanding about God, these might, cons- your genetics, they might conspire against you and make you more susceptible than the person sat next to you in that seat. There might be a reason. Susceptible, maybe, why we get it, perhaps. Factors. Second factor behind why we get into uh, spiritual depression comes from our situation, where we are currently, right? Physically and where we are socially. Look down at verse 6. He says, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. What is that about? What is he doing? What is he saying? Mount Hermon. What is Mount Hermon? Mount Hermon is a, you can go there today. It is a huge mountain, uh, the very, very northern aspects of, of modern day Israel. Um, it's bordering with Syria and Lebanon. Um, it actually is about 2,800 meters in height, which makes it three times as high as Sleeve Donard, right? Sleeve Donard is about 850 meters high. Ben Nevis is about 1,300 meters high. Um, this is 2,800 meters. So it's, it's a big mountain, right? Way bigger than anything we have here. Most of the year, Mount Hermon is covered in snow. In fact, there is a ski resort on the Israeli side of the mountain. You can go to it and go skiing in Israel, would you, would you believe? But anyway, it's mostly covered in snow. But because of its height and because of the geology of the place, it is the source of the river Jordan. Whether it is through melting snow or the, 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 the rainfall at certain times in the year, these little streams and these little tributaries every year grow and swell and coalesce and they begin to form River Jordan. Very significant river, as you you might know from the Bible, right? And it flows into the Sea of Galilee. A lot of stuff in the Bible happened in and around the River Jordan, right? Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan. That's where the water came from originally, right? Up there. Awesome. So there he is. There is the psalmist up there in, 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 in the crags, in the rocks. You know, maybe that's why he saw the deer panting for water, right? Maybe it was the wrong season and the Dear couldn't find what it would usually look for. Who knows? But anyway, there he is. But he's alone. He's isolated. What is he doing? It's, it's, it's 200 plus miles away from Jerusalem. Miles away. He's away from the worshippers. He's away from the community of faith. He's away from the people that can get around him and say, come on, let's go to the house of God together. He's taken himself away. It takes over 50 hours on foot to walk from Jerusalem to Mount Hermon, which is many days. So it's not just like he, he, he went down the road for a bit of a chill time. This is, this is, he, he took himself away uh, over many days. Some people perhaps are a little more susceptible. Perhaps it's because of isolation. You know, your situation, you're just, just taking yourself away. Another reason perhaps why we might fall into spiritual depression is external reasons, right? Opposition. Did you notice as we went through the text again, there are people who seem to be speaking out and condemning the psalmist, saying, aha, look at you, look at the state you're in. And you say you're a Christian, you say you're a believer. Where is your God? What a mess. You know, he says that in verse 3 of chapter 42, and and later on as well, in verse 9, I'm oppressed by the enemy. You know, in chapter 43, he says, oh man, these these people, they're, they're, they're wicked, they're deceitful. It's like a whole nation is against me jeering, taunting me, pushing me while I'm down, jumping on me, crushing me further into the ground. 
It's no wonder he's feeling depression of spirits. So whether it's susceptibility, whether it's your experience, your past, your knowledge, whether it's your situation, whether it's external forces, we just don't often know why people become depressed of spirit. We just don't know. And God doesn't tell us. We don't know why he allows it. We don't know why sometimes the clouds come and block out the sun. Or as the the old Baptist confession puts it, we don't know why he withdraws the light of his countenance. Perhaps he wants to teach us something. Perhaps he wants to draw us deeper into himself. We don't know. But it happens. It happens to everybody in some way, I think, or some form. I've certainly experienced it in, in a number of times in life. Great and influential Christian leaders have experienced it. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 19th century, was so familiar with spiritual depression, he called it the black dog. The black dog just followed him around. And Spurgeon preached the gospel to many thousands of people, saw many turn to Jesus, and yet he struggled throughout all of his life with the black dog. Martin Luther used to throw ink pots at the devil when he was oppressed, depressed of spirit. George Whitfield, if you ever read his journals, he's a great preacher and you know, led the, the great revivals of the 18th century. He was always in these great agonies, these physical sort of manifestations. In fact, I, I read his journals a few years ago and I, I found them a bit annoying. I was like, George, come on again. You keep dropping into the spiritual depression and here he is rolling around on the floor of his room, you know, fighting and pleading and sweating. And That was Whitfield. These physical manifestations. Others have called it the dark night of the soul. Who knows why these things happen? Who knows where they come from? But as we'll be singing and reflecting and believing afresh in a few minutes' time, we know that God is good, right? He is our Father. And He doesn't let bad stuff happen to His kids. He gives them good gifts. Everything happens according to His purposes. So, let's have a look. We thought about what is spiritual depression. We thought about why we get it. Thirdly, I just want to touch on how do we deal with it, right? If you have this, if you associate with this, how do you, what do you do? How do you tackle it? Thank God. Thank God for this psalm. Thank God for the psalms in general and the scriptures as a whole because they are thoroughly practical. Not just spiritual stuff that we can talk about, but actually we can dig into and, and use for ourselves, right? So first of all, oh, I've got the thought I'd do your slide. Oh, wrong way, sorry, hang on. Can you see that? I'll talk you through them. How do we deal with spiritual depression? Number one, recognize the problem. Right? It sounds maybe self-evident. Recognize the problem. Verse 1 and 2 of our Psalms, he jumps straight in. God, things are not right. There is a gap between what I believe about you and what you tell me about yourself and, and how I'm feeling right now. There is a gap. Recognize the problem. I don't want that gap, God. The objective truth and subjective experience of that truth is too far apart. I feel cold. I feel parched. I feel thirsty. I need you. And yet my desire is unfulfilled. Recognize the problem. And this is really important, right? Because otherwise, the other option is to bury it or deny it or pretend it's not there. And that is not good for you. That is not good for you because like trying to keep a blown up beach ball under the seawater 
eventually it will pop up to the surface, right? You might struggle and hold it down, but eventually it's going to come up somehow or other. And it will physically manifest itself or psychologically manifest itself unless you recognize the problem. Or if you don't recognize the problem, the other alternative is you're just going to burn out. Your soul will burn out. You'll just get so hardened and so unused to hearing God's voice that you'll just go cold. Recognize the problem, folks. It's the first start. Number two, okay, understand that there is a way of dealing with it. Understand how to deal with it. The Psalms are full of it. Um, to process and bring these questions before God. And, and we see that in Psalm 42 and 43. Okay, it encourages us to ask probing questions of God. It is okay, folks, to cry out to God almost with this boldness and almost with a cheekiness and say, God, why have you forgotten me? Why, have you re- why do I feel like this, God? Deal with it in the way that the Psalms lead us. Bring your case before God. Come on, Lord, what is it? What's going on? doesn't mean you lack faith. It doesn't mean you're immature. Just take the, the, the cue of the psalmist. Bring it before God. Number three, remember former blessings. Okay, Remember he looks back in verse four, and I remember how I used to go up to the house of God. Just remember back to a time when God was really sweet, when he was really close to you as you felt him. You know, experiences that you had in worship or, or, or moments of, of breakthrough and encouragement and answers to prayer, periods when your heart was, was soaring. Why should we do that? Because it teaches us, it reminds us that God has been active in the past, right? And, and, and he's worked personally in me. I've felt it. I've understood that. I've received it. And the idea is when we see what God has done and we remind ourselves of how he has, how he has worked in our lives in the past, it stirs our hearts. It stirs our faith. And we say, God, you, can, you did that then. You can, you can do it again. You're the living God, right? You can do it again. Number four, approach God boldly. I'm not linger on this one. We covered this in our series on prayer. We just finished. Come to God audaciously. Wrestle with God's word, just like Jacob wrestled with God. Remember that through the night. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Hold God to his word, right? And this is a great psalm to do that. You can come to God if you are suffering from spiritual depression. You can come to God right now, today, and you can say, God, it says right here, you are my rock. I know you're my rock. You tell me you're my rock, and yet I, I want to experience you as my rock. I need your rockness in my life right now. Everything else is, is turmoil. Everything else is moving. I, I need you as my rock. Come on, approach God boldly. He doesn't say this stuff about himself just for your knowledge. He says it because he wants you to build your life on it. You're my rock. You're my stronghold. All these other great truths that we see. Five, come on, preach the truth to yourself. Preach the truth to yourself. Sometimes you just need to speak it out. That's why he does it three times. Why are you downcast? Why are you disturbed? Come on, soul. Put your hope in God, he says in verse five. I will praise him, my Savior and my God. He does it again in verse 11 and again at the end in chapter 43, right? He is preaching the truth to his soul. He's taken himself in hands. Come on. Repetitive, reciting over and over again. He doesn't feel it, but he knows that reciting the truth, receiving the truth, preaching it to his soul, he will eventually feel it. 
This is important for us to understand, particularly in the, the modern church, right? We, we often misunderstand this and the, the impact that this has for us, the doors that this can open up for us. We often think to ourselves, we have to feel something first and then we'll do an action in response, right? I, I need to feel right in my heart before I can, I can do something out of my heart. And that's, that's good and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But we can bring that attitude to church and we say, look, I need to feel okay before I can go to worship God. I need to get my stuff together before I can come with his people. I need to be good in my mind, in my body. I need to be up for it in my spirit for me to come to church. And then I'll come. But can you see the problem with that? It's nonsense for a start. It's totally mixed up. Because the psalmist shows right here, that from the depths of spiritual depression, yet he speaks the truth into himself until he feels it. And it's not the other way around. You got that, right? This is important. Because, look, I'm, I'm going to share with you personally, many times, I hope I'm not shooting myself in the foot here, many times I don't really feel like coming to church. I sit in my car and I think, oh my goodness, I just want to go back to bed. That's what I want to be doing right now. I don't feel like it. I feel low in spirit. I feel de depressed or discouraged or whatever it happens to be. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to sing songs. I don't want to do any of that stuff. I don't feel like it. I'm not there. Whatever. I don't want to be here. You know what? I have sung in Christ alone a million times. I've sung it a million. Oh, I don't want to sing that again. Come on, really? I've heard the, the call to worship too many times. I've, I've confessed my sins. Okay, we'll do confession. Here we go. I don't feel like it. And yet, do you see the thing? This is my personal experience. When I take myself in hand, when I say to myself, come on, put your hope in God. You don't feel like it. I will praise him, my Savior and my God. When you do that, suddenly those words of in Christ alone start to come alive, right? You start to feel it. I'm not saying it happens every time without fail. But there's something that happens when I take myself in hand, when I'm low, when I'm down, when I don't want to be there, when I don't want to do it, and I say, come on, sing. It does something. Something happens, the Holy Spirit moves. There's some conviction, you know, it's kind of like spiritual WD-40. I love WD-40. So many great benefits. W but it's like spiritual WD-40. It starts to turn the cogs of my soul. My heart starts beating again. And so we, you know, we come to church and, and we get around spiritual you know, faith community and, and we hear these truths and, 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 and we hear people, other people singing them around us and, and we hear the words spoken over us. And God will do something with that. He will do something with that. He will get that cog turning in your soul once again. So don't, folks, please don't wait until you feel ready for church, until you're 10 out of 10, until your tank is full, and then I'll come to church. Please, that is the wrong way around. Church is for people who are zero out of ten. Because we have each other, right? And I might not feel like it, but my brother over here or my sister over here, they're, they're going on great for God and, and their voices you know, just encourage me and, and their presence just encourages me and they, they pray for me and there's something about that that just stimulates me and encourages me. And, and I put it to you that if that's me one week, it might be you the next week and someone else the week after that, right? Come on, let's get together. Truth spoken over you, sung over you, read over you. That's what we do week after week. And if you engage, you will be stirred.
preach the truth to yourself. One sentence, anticipate future blessing, okay? End of chapter 43. Then, you know, God, you're going to do something. Then, when you do that, I'm anticipating that moment when I'm going to be worshipping you again. You're going to be my joy and my delight. I'm going to lift up that lyre. It's like a guitar. I'm going to play that thing. I'm going to awaken the dawn, he says elsewhere. I'm going to praise you, O Lord. That's what's going to happen. I'll leave them there. Six steps for helping ourselves kickstart out of spiritual depression. But before we finish, and we're going to come into land just now, you have to know before we're done here that that is incomplete, left to its own. Right? That is incomplete. There is a list of jobs for you to do. You might do them and still nothing happens. Or you might do them and feel great and then down you go again a few weeks later. I need to let you know that that is not it. Because the Bible tells us there is a great hope. There is a great truth that we haven't yet covered that underpins everything. There is this great hope that because of the gospel of Jesus and and anyone who believes in that gospel of Jesus, that we might feel, if that's you, if you believe in the gospel of Jesus, you might feel all these things and more that the psalmist is talking about. You might feel far from God. You might have the most intense spiritual depression you've ever known. And yet, because of the gospel, you will never actually be forsaken by God. You will never be rejected by him. Because of the gospel, you will never be ultimately and completely and ever cast off from God. You might feel like you're cast off, but because of Jesus, you're not. You never will be. God will never be absent from you because of Jesus. How do we know this? How is this so? Because of Jesus, right? On his way to the cross, we see it in the gospel, yeah? Jesus was grieved. He, he was devastated even by the thought of the absence of his father. Jesus literally sweat blood in the garden when he was contemplating that, that coldness that he was about to experience on the cross in the most profound and unrepeatable way. You see, in the gospel, Jesus thirsted for God in ways that none of us ever have or never will. His soul, it says, thirsted for God with a thirst that at that stage could not be quenched. And in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross when they nailed him up there, there was no answer to God, to his cry. He said to God from the cross, why have you forgotten me? Just like the psalmist. Why have you rejected me? Just like the psalmist. Why has this world turned against me? Why are there so many deceitful and wicked people? He lifted those things before God, and yet God did not answer him back. An unfaithful nation has crushed me. And Jesus went to his death. Fully living out the implications of Psalm 42 to its most dreadful, unthinkable conclusions. And yet... And yet, folks, this is the good news, right? This is the good news. Jesus did not give up. He knew that his terrifying death would not be the end of the matter. He said to his soul, Come on, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. He saw beyond his horrifying death to this great time of of future joy that the Scriptures predicted. He, He knew that he would rise again to eternal life. He knew, like the psalmist, he would lead his people to the presence of God with shouts of joy and praise. That is what God, Jesus Christ, knew. 
And that's what happened. And that's why when we trust in God, and this is the important thing, when we trust in God and his work is applied to us by faith, every Christian believer who feels far from God is never far from God. Because Jesus was far from God. We shall never be. We might feel far from God, but we're not. Because of Jesus, God is right with us through the cross, by his Holy Spirit, in us and with us. The cross was not the end. The resurrection happened, and Jesus will come again. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God.